As an English major, I had this conversation a lot. What's your major? English. So you're going to become a teacher. Um, yeah. I would respond with that half-hearted yes because I didn't have a better answer. I thought everyone asked this because it was the only career you could have with an English degree. But now, as a college graduate, with that English degree, I think of it differently. I see it as a question of visibility. Where do people see English majors going? English teacher jobs, duh. So in this episode, we're going to revise that. I'm teaming up with Alice Hu and Sahar Iqbal. We're talking about the future, life beyond graduation, that gap between commencement day and your career. Alice, Sahar, and I interviewed professionals who started in the humanities and found their ways to different careers. One, an English professor, one, the director of the Yukon Women's Center, and one, a radio producer with the New Yorker Radio Hour. We're going to show you that humanities majors might be people too. I'm Ali Oshinsky, and this is Professor. 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 Professors are people too. First up, Sahar Iqbal. Hi, Sahar. Hi. So, Sahar, you're a little different. You already know what you want to do, and you made a major for it. Well, yeah, I already knew what I wanted to do when I came to UConn. I knew I wanted to do medical malpractice, and so I just needed a way of, like, knowing how to get there. And the bridge between that kind of gap was just enrolling in the accelerated law program. Uh, The thing about this program was I had to do a double major, and so um, I was a little bit at a loss because I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field but not, like, approaching it through the hard sciences. So I went to Michael Cunningham, and we tried to figure something out, and he said, you should do international health and law something that relates to medical anthropology. Awesome. And just a side note, did your parents want you to go pre-med? Um, no, not at all. I actually felt a little bit um, at a loss for myself for going to pre-med because everyone in my um, you know, ethnic community did pre, uh, pre-med and I thought I was missing out a little bit. So I really wanted to do it, but then I thought to myself, like, what am I doing here? And so that's why I decided to do pre-law. It was something that was already in my interest and I was super good at it, so why not? You are super good at it. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay, and so you went to talk to Jerry Phillips. I did, yes. All right, let's hear it. My name is Sahar Iqbal, and I'm currently a sophomore studying political science and international health and law. And as a social science student that's always around STEM majors, I want to delve a little bit deeper into the realm of the humanities. And to have a better grasp on what it means to be a humanities major, I interviewed one of my favorite professors here at UConn. This is Jerry Phillips, Associate Professor of English in the English Department at UConn. I took a class with Jerry Phillips, which was 1616W, and I always loved how well-spoken and professional he was when he was discussing political themes in dystopian novels. In class, Professor Phillips really made us think about the underlying themes within each book that I wouldn't have realized on my own. It's always helpful to see your life as an unfolding narrative. The story doesn't have to be predictable. It doesn't have to be the chapter that lies ahead is one that you know the contours, because that that may not be the case. So when I decided to be a political science major, my parents were luckily supportive of my choice. Because the majority of my siblings were already pre-med, I had freedom to do what I wanted to do and what I loved to do. My mom told me that I could major in anything I wanted as long as I was good at it. And I have to admit, even though I got the support, I was a little bit nervous about majoring in such an abstract field of study. 
I think that as millennials, we have every right to be nervous about the upcoming future. We never quite know if there will be a job available for us or if we have to pursue higher education. I think there's no question that the that the world economy and the American economy in particular has has changed. There's no there's no question about that. You know, when I I'm thinking when I was an undergrad, it was still possible to look life after university as a career. I'm not sure that that's easily available to people today. As part of the older generation, Professor Phillips clearly understands the anxiety that goes into being a humanities major. The question now is, is that is it worth being a humanities major? See, for me, I picked out my career knowing that I'd be economically satisfied with my decision. But if I had another option, I would definitely major in women, gender, and sexuality studies and be a professor in that field. I asked my professor for advice, and this is what he told me. Women's studies has helped to illuminate not just women's experience, but also the experience of men. I mean, we know so much more about gender, about it's both, it, both its pathological and, and, you know, its normative dimensions. We know so much more about that because of women's studies. So now that we've got an opinion about the importance of WGSS as a major, what about the humanities in general? Is something like the humanities economically feasible, and will it all be worth it? I mean, the humanities have taught us a lot, for example, about racism, about sexism, about homophobia. What's the price, the money price that you would put on that? American culture is immeasurably better because of what we know from the, the work of humanists. There's no money, that, there's no price that you could put on it. Because Professor Phillips really seemed invested in the humanities, I was wondering if he had always been so enthusiastic about majoring in English and how being in this major has affected his life as a whole. When I was in high school, I was uh, not the greatest student, but, but the, the, the degree that I was a student, I was mostly a biologist. I was mostly interested in natural history, things of that nature, and I developed a kind of late interest in English. I'd always read on a, in a kind of a casual way, but I became a much more serious reader. And I think from the time I was maybe 17, 16, something like that, I knew that English would be for me. I also wanted to bring to light the stigma about majoring in English. A lot of stereotypes around the fact that English majors don't work as hard as STEM majors. Because of this infamous reputation, I wanted to know what Professor Phillips thought about this. I think, you know, as with any stereotype that, you know, one has to be uh, dismissive in, in the sense of, of that people are individuals and, and you know, well, it's certainly true that behaviors may fall into patterns. But I, my, my experience, I wouldn't say that English students are lazy. I'm not sure what that, that means. I'm not sure how that judgment could be made. Um, do, I think one could say, do students realize their full potential? And I would say many of them do not. So that, but that's not the same as saying they're lazy, right? That's not the same as saying that they don't do anything at all. Now that he has debunked the stigma against English majors, I wonder what it truly takes to be a successful English major. Being an English major is it has demands. I mean, you have to you have to be someone who first of all has the discipline who, who can read. It has demands in terms of writing. Um, I think English is intrinsically difficult, and you know, as as any topic that is worth studying will will have its degree of difficulty. And I think it's really a question of looking to each individual student to see if that person is realizing their potential. Even though so much work goes into being a humanities major, I always feel like students majoring in other fields often dismiss the humanities. I, th I think, frankly, that's absurd. I think that any area of humanistic study that tells us more about history, culture, power, identity, I mean, these aren't trivial matters.
I can't help but to be a little bit taken aback by his comment. Is it actually absurd? I firmly do believe that the humanity certainly does have a lot to offer, but oftentimes it feels like students have created a strict binary between STEM versus the humanities. I, I don't think of the humanities as necessarily oppositional to the sciences. I think that that's a mistake. I think that that's, that plays into the narrative of STEM versus the humanities. I always think it's STEM and the humanities, or the humanities and STEM. I'm not necessarily saying one is more important than the other. I think that there's so much to... We have so much work to do as, as a society, as human beings. We might as well divide it up, and everybody can give something of their best effort and I completely agree with Professor Phillips. You can't always create a rigid boundary with yourself. When I was a freshman, I didn't always understand that people could major in two separate fields since they seemed so different from each other. But now, as a rising junior doing a double major, I can see how subjects intersect with each other. But I get that not everybody has that aha moment where they know what they want to do. I still so know so many freshmen that are confused about what they want to study. Even some seniors are panicking because they're unsure about what they want to do with their English degree. So you're, you're an English major and you're not sure what you want to do going into your final year. I mean, first of all, I would, I would ask you, what, what do you see as the goals in your life? What do you, you know, how does English connect to those larger goals? Because we're, all, you know, we're always, as, as people, we're always doing something in relation to our sense of the future. So I, that's what I would ask a, a student. I would say, okay, so the English degree, you know, it, it's about... First of all, getting from a freshman to a sophomore, from sophomore to a junior. And then, you know, once you get to a senior, what's next? What, what, I mean, you have to have a sense of that future. And I absolutely agree with Professor Phillips. Anyone listening to this, keep in mind that you don't automatically know what you want to do as soon as you enter college. On one hand, freshmen are always worried about choosing the quote-unquote right major. And the other seniors are still deciding what they want to do with their lives. This also means that you don't always have to justify your decisions to other students or professors. If you feel the need to take an extra year because you suddenly change your major, then I would say to keep on pursuing it. I think the main takeaway from this segment is that you don't always have to come into college with a solid plan. All you need to do is continue being enthusiastic about your major. Don't just choose STEM because it's your, what your family expects of you. Make sure it's something that you'd actually want to be studying. When you're deciding on a double major, don't be scared to venture out into a subject you may or may not know everything about. Remember. It's not always STEM versus the humanities since every field of study can learn something new. Lastly, even after graduation, you should keep continuing your education by reading and staying socially aware. Don't ever regret choosing what you want to study for your undergrad or even if you do, you can always major in another subject by pursuing a master's. Just know where your intelligence fails you, your passion picks you right back up. Next up, Alice Hugh. Hi, Alice. Hi, Allie. So you're not a humanities major. What's your major? I'm majoring in material science. And you are one of those STEM majors who don't think the humanities are useless. Isn't that right? Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me who you talked to. Oh, I talked to Kathleen Hogerson, who's the director of the Women's Center. Awesome. Let's hear it. I was eating dinner with my friend Veda when, amidst the clattering silverware and the laughter amongst us, I had an epiphany. Veda, I think I figured out why these intro engineering classes bother us so much. Because the professors dumb down these classes for us, we don't really know what being an engineer is actually like until junior year when we take our core classes. 
Veda agreed and pointed out that we both picked engineering because we liked and were good at math and science, but just having the basic foundations is not enough to succeed in engineering. Because there are so many prerequisites to the main engineering classes, we don't find out what the engineering life is really like until junior year, when it is too late to back out. If the engineering life does not turn out to be right for Veda or I, would switching our majors be the right thing to do? To gain a wider perspective of the problem, I talked to Kathleen Hogerson, the director of the Women's Center here at UConn. I graduated uh, with a BA in English, but I actually started out as a chemistry major. And then I took organic chemistry and I got my first bad grade. And I just could not wrap my head around organic chemistry. And so I did what I think a, a lot of young women do. I assumed it was something that was about me, that I wasn't smart enough or that I couldn't figure it out. Um, and so I dropped out of being a chem major and I thought, OK, well, what else do I like? Nowadays, it is easier for me as a female STEM major because people are more aware of how gender dynamics affects females. This is partially thanks to people in the field of gender and sexuality studies who have analyzed the issue and promoted awareness of it. Being a part of Society of Women Engineers has given me a support network of friends who are going through a similar situation. When talking with Kathleen, I found out that the Women's Center also offers support for females in STEM. We started a Women in STEM mentoring program. Um, this was the project of um, one of our students who graduated last year, Maha. Um, she was um, herself a woman in STEM um, and was responding to the ways in which she felt supported or not as she was going through her academic career. Um, so she was really um, committed to starting this uh, STEM project. And so, as I said, we're in our second year. We uh, recruit um, upper division students uh, to mentor um you know, we're targeting incoming, but we have uh, first year, second year, and actually a couple of juniors in the mentoring program, um, making that connection to both create one-on-one -on -one relationships um, so that there's somebody who's like, you can talk to like, hey, this is what's going on. Yeah. Um, but there's also the, we have large group meetings so that even though you have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with your mentor, you also know that there's this larger community that's involved um, in, in supporting you. The women in the Women in STEM Mentor Program, they put together some activities for the kids when they came for the Cube Day, which is a, um, a day that looks, it's bringing kids to campus to get exposed to college um, and encourage them to apply for college. And so the uh, Women in STEM Mentoring folks put together these cool activities for the kids to be able to, you know, kind of play around with science, but it also showed them as women as scientists. So that was part of what we wanted to kind of um, be able to expose the kids to as well. Um, so it's really kind of a layered project. So I would encourage somebody like yourself to think about getting involved in a program like that to create a sense of community for yourself. Back in December, when I was picking my classes by looking through my plan of study, I saw that all engineering majors had to take a philosophy class. At the time, I thought it was incredibly stupid. Because how does taking philosophy make me a better engineer? Needless to say, I did not have high expectations when I walked into my first philosophy class. However, gradually I started to look forward to philosophy, 
which provided me a break from all my other technical classes. In STEM, you are taught to make these certain assumptions so that you can get to the right result. But philosophy teaches you to question these assumptions, which is important because you can get the right answer even though your assumptions are wrong. I started to ask myself, what assumptions do people have about the humanities? After asking around, it seemed that some people had pretty negative stereotypes about the humanities, saying it's not as demanding as STEM. But that's not true. By exploring the humanities, we learn how to think creatively and critically. The skills needed to write a paper about attitudes towards Jewish magic requires the same analytical ability and effort used in the STEM fields. STEM teaches you how to make cool things, but humanities teaches you why you should make cool things. And we need people in both fields. While talking with Kathleen, she also told me about how she benefited from an English degree. English provides you with writing and communication skills that are so important no matter what it is that you're looking at, quite frankly, even in the STEM fields. Yeah. Um, so I think that was all really helpful. Um, I had been looking at the possibility of going to law school, um, which I didn't end up pursuing. But again, I think that was sort of, there was kind of this narrative that if you're an English major, at least at that time, um, you're either going to become a teacher or you're going to go to law school, that there, those were sort of the two only tracks, but I think the reality is, is that it just opens up so many possibilities. After talking with my roommate, I found out that there are many people who graduate with a STEM degree during their undergrad, but ended up pursuing something in the humanities. Many people think of college as a stepping stone towards your dream job, and you choose your major because you think it's the best, at least for you. But your idea of what's best for you ends up changing during college as you experiment with different classes and activities. I realized in my time here at UConn that your college major and job can be very different and that your major can lead you to an unexpected career path. My first job um, out of college was I uh, was hired as a what was called a family violence victim advocate um, with the domestic violence program in the Hartford area called Interval House. So I was responsible for um, working with folks who had experienced domestic violence and there was an arrest. And so I would reach out to those folks, talk about what their options were, help to provide support. Um, I also did a little bit of work in the shelter at the time. Um, so that was my first job out of school, and it really, I think, combined um, the communication skills that and the writing um, skills that I had from my English degree. I also had taken a number of women's studies, what's now women, gender, and sexuality studies courses. Um, so I was always interested in the gender equity and the feminism conversation um, and the, um, the legal piece, because I had also worked for a law firm all through um, high school and college um, on oh, my wow. breaks. Yeah. So it was like like this combination of kind of all of those things that I had experience and interest in. Kathleen's experience from her first job became very useful when she became the director of the Women's Center here at UConn. Um, so a lot of the work that the Women's Center does uh, focuses on gender-based violence. So we have a peer education program, our Violence Against Women program, which does education around uh, sexual assault, intimate partner violence, stalking, sexual harassment. We do a lot of educational programming. And as you raise awareness of these issues, part of that also is providing interventions. So when you start talking about issues and folks are like, oh, I think that's what might be happening to me, we want to make sure that 
we have the supports around them as well. Um, obviously, our goal is to, I, I always joke about, I really want to work ourselves out of business, right? Um, so that if we, if we ultimately prevented everything we were trying to prevent, we wouldn't have to provide those support services. Even with her past experience, there were still a lot of things that she had to learn when she started working at the Women's Center. Any given day can look totally different. Um, but basically, what I'm uh, responsible for is um, certainly working with the students that work at the center. Um, so I supervise several of the students at the center and kind of help them through their work. Um, I work with the other staff at the center. We have uh, three other full-time staff members and a graduate assistant, um, so supporting them in their work as well. I'm often involved in a lot of committees and um meetings that are looking at, um, you know, what's going on on a particular area of campus that might have, because of decisions that are being made or policies that are in place, that might have a disparate impact on folks based on um, gender. Uh, really, my job is about asking the question over and over again, how does gender matter? After talking with Kathleen, I felt a lot better about my future and my major. I realized that your major doesn't matter as much as people think it does because there's a lot of on-the-job learning that goes on. I guess learning never stops after college. Not sure if I should be happy about that, though. <laughs> Great. Just after I solve one problem, another one comes along. I guess that's just what happens in college. Last but not least, Allie. Hey, Allie. Hi, Allie. So who did you talk to? Um, I talked to myself. No, just kidding. I talked to someone whose life looks a lot like what I'd like mine to look like in a few years. Are you there? Yep. Rhiannon Corby is a production assistant at the New Yorker Radio Hour at WNYC Studios. A UConn professor, Pam Brown, connected me with her. And I had to take this opportunity to pick her brain about what life looks like for radio producers after college graduation. And also to geek out about S-Town a little. What did you think of S-Town? Oh, my God. Okay, I have to tell you, I am like... From what I've gathered, a lot of people who are successful in radio get their start as an intern at an NPR member station. So I wanted to hear more about her experience at one of my favorite member stations, WNYC. So I interned at Studio 360 at WNYC, and I didn't do that until I had been out of college for several years, probably about th three or four years. I, th I was like 26 at that point, and I was like, this is the last internship I'm ever going to do. I swear to God, I'm 26 years old, and I'm still interning. Had you done like a bunch before that? I had done like, I did like one in college at um, like my local newspaper in the town that I grew up, and then I moved to New York to do an internship that was a PR internship, um, which was like, I hated it. It was. But while I was doing that horrible PR internship, I started listening to radio and podcasts and got super obsessed and um, and then went and did this four-month program in Maine to study radio um, and then went from there to doing this internship at WNYC. Um, and my sort of approach to that was I sort of just tried to forget I was an intern. Like, I'm just going to do as much as I can and work on as many things as I can and, like, pitch stuff as much as I can and um, 
and just be like super aggressive and not worry about I don't know and just like not worry about it and not get so in my head about it because I I feel like my other internships like I was younger and I sort of was like oh I have to be like a good intern and I have to you know do exactly what people want. I loved how Rhiannon said this because it's a huge anxiety of my interning life. I'm never sure what the appropriate behavior is. Is it presumptuous to ask for an independent project? Can I say no to an assignment that's just busy work? On the one hand, it feels like I'm at an internship to help, even if getting coffee isn't socially acceptable for interns anymore. But on the other hand, I think about that gap between the responsibilities of an intern and the responsibilities of an employee. If an internship is supposed to prepare me for employment, shouldn't I be asking for more responsibility? What was it that prompted you to say, I'm not going to be this? Was it just like exhaustion from <laughs> internships or like maybe career search things? Like, I think it was being, I think it was being a little bit older um, and sort of feeling like, because I spent a lot of time in college and in the years after college sort of trying one thing and then trying another. And I mean, my major, I majored in history in college and I kind of just majored in history because I liked history, but also because I'd taken, you know, like a bunch of history classes. And I was like, well, I'm sort of close to this major and I don't really have a different direction that I would rather go. So it sort of was like I fell into that because it was straightforward. When I got into radio, it was the first time in my life, really, where like I had found something on my own and had sort of discovered it without any kind of class framework or like, I don't know, without my parents, you know, directing me towards that or 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 anything like that. And so I did feel kind of like, OK, like if this is going to happen, I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. And so and yeah, the whole I mean, process of applying to SALT, this program in Maine, like that was all just I was like working in a coffee shop and I was like, I'm going to do radio. And I that was just like all <laughs> all me. like. <laughs> And it did sort of feel like a sort of last ditch effort to like, okay, like if there's ever going to be a career that I like love, then this is going to be it. So I'm just going to, you know, go full steam ahead on it. This struggle sounded very familiar to me. When I took a year off, I was working at a coffee shop and I just felt lost in my life. I wanted to own something before I pursued a career in it. And I wanted to be passionate about it. And then... Someone told me to listen to this podcast called Serial, and I was hooked. There was this theatrical energy, but also connecting to people. From This American Life and WBEZ Chicago, it's Serial. One story told week by week. I'm Sarah Koenig. I was in love. But in that moment, I didn't realize that a lack of direction was just the right place for a new passion. I couldn't see myself actually making a podcast. I just knew I was excited about something in a way that felt important. I hadn't felt that way in a long time. Lack of direction in college is just the worst feeling. And I really liked what Rhiannon had to say about it. I felt like there were a lot of people in college who just kind of did it better than I did. Like they had more of an idea of what they wanted out of it. Um, And so they were sort of able to craft it to their needs a little bit more. I know this is going to sound ridiculous, but a month out of college, I'm already starting to feel that stereotype of humanities majors can't get jobs. 
Listening back to this conversation from beyond commencement day, I found a little peace in what Rhiannon said about her life after graduation. I wasn't that worried when I graduated college, and I totally got the, oh, like, you're majoring in history, like, great, good luck getting a job. And I kind of was just like, I'll find a job. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Which I can't tell if that was, you know, if it was foolish. But I don't think it was foolish. Like, it it worked for me. And I, and I, I don't regret the years after college that I spent just being like, you know, like, I I don't know. I had a really great time. I, like, moved to upstate New York and, like, opened, like, a tiny ice cream business. And then I, like, moved home and, like, worked in a coffee shop and, yeah, and, and like, lived in France and lived in Italy and, like, had all these really cool experiences that I don't think I could have had if I had a little bit more direction, actually. What Rhiannon said made me feel good about the sort of lack of direction I'm feeling right now. But the hardest part for me is the judgments. I like I find that so valuable that like when people take the time off and obviously, you know, like some people can't not have a job. But like, sure, it's so what you learn in those years, just from my experience of like two years during college taking time off, you learn so much more about yourself working at a coffee shop (laughs) than you would, um, you know, maybe if you if you got a job right out of school or or whatever um and so like the judgments that come around like what yeah what do you feel people misunderstand when those judgments come around <sighs> i feel like there is way honestly way too much pressure on being successful in this world <laughs> cuz honestly some of the happiest times of my life have been when i didn't have like when I wasn't working towards a career and I even still say that like I mean working in an office is is I've I've it's grown on me and I am you know happy now and I love my coworkers and the stability is great and like having a paycheck is great but like if I had my druthers if I could if I could work in a coffee shop like two days a week and work in an office three days a week like that would be perfect because like you're exercising a totally different set of skills working in service. Like you're interacting with people and you're meeting different kinds of people, you know, not necessarily people who have all gone to college. Or, and I, and I, I would get really angry and I still do like, I still get really frustrated that people are so, so ready to dismiss different kinds of work as worthless Because, like, I don't know. I just think it's super messed up on a societal level. Like, think of the numbers of people who are working in in jobs like service jobs. Like, our economy is a service economy. And the fact that there is so much judgment about people who work in that field is, like, I don't know. I think that – I think that's a big problem. (laughs) But I I do think that there is absolutely value in, like, taking the time and, like – figuring out if you even want to go to, you know, that go to grad school or or whatever. What started as a conversation about the next steps for my career turned into a conversation about something that's probably a little more important. What are the next steps for my life? After 6 years of some sort of college, three major switches, two service jobs and a podcast. I'm proud of what I did. 
And I'm not going to let the fact that I don't have the next step figured out overshadow that pride. This lack of direction feels familiar, and it scares me a little. But not too much. Because I think, if anything, I learned in college what to do with it. So before I record the last few lines, save what could be my last audio file on this podcast, and shut off the computer... I'm thinking about where I was two years ago. I was clocking in late for a shift at the coffee shop because I needed to hear the last few minutes of a podcast I just discovered. I was aimless then, a little sloppy with my time management, and definitely worried about the future. But I was building momentum. And yeah, I'm still a little late, but not because I'm listening to a podcast. Because I'm making one. I'm finishing one, and the momentum is still behind me, even if the direction isn't clear. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all the listeners who've ever listened to Professors Are People Too. It has been such a wonderful journey with so many mentors, listeners, and friends along the way. I have so much thanks to give. First of all, to Sean Forbes, I couldn't have done any of this without you. Also thanks to Ruth Fairbanks, Melanie Hepburn, Jason McMullen, Danielle Shalhoub, Gina Barreca, Kathy Schlund-Viles, Dwight Coder, Victoria Ford-Smith, and of course, everybody involved in this episode. Alice Hu, Jerry Phillips, Sahar Iqbal, Kathleen Holgerson, and Rhiannon Corby. Thank you so much. Special thanks to Ryan Karen King for help with editing and Jason McMullen, who did some voice acting on this one. And I know I'm the only one who's sincerely teary-eyed when I say this. But I'm Ali Oshinsky, and this is my goodbye for Professor. 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 Professors are people, too.